Welcome to the Filmmaker's Playbook. My name is Jason Brannigan and this is a podcast all about filmmaking. Thank you to everyone who listened, commented, liked and shared the first episode of the podcast. It means a lot. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Shields, the acclaimed co-writer of the Sundance hit The Hole in the Ground and Universal's upcoming horror movie, Abigail, slated for release on April 19th. In our conversation, we discuss how Stephen started in the industry, the structural similarities of horror and comedy, collaborating with directors, writing screenplays in the studio system versus the independent sector. And Stephen reveals unique insights into screenwriting and shares how he sits down to tackle the blank page. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Stephen, thanks so much for talking to me today. It's great to have you. No problem. No problem at all. Great to be here. To start, um, you're from Clondalkin, same as myself, and we went to the same secondary school, even though we were different years. But I guess for me at that time, working in the arts or film, television, wasn't something that was really on my radar. So I'm curious as to how you came to the industry. Like, was it always a plan or did you find your way into writing at a particular stage? The plan was never to be a writer, but the passion was there to be one of that kind of makes sense. So best way to put it was I went to obviously in, in said secondary school you have your options at the end of the year to kind of do the you know what college you want to go to and the only kind of film school that was near me at the time was Bally Firma College which is as you know yourself is only literally a bus ride or a bike ride down the road so yeah so I went there uh, I, did, I did a one-year course and kind of like a taster course in a way it's like a television and film so you kind of do the boats, you kind of work in studio-based stuff for television and make documentaries and, you know, kind of stuff like that. And then in the film base, you do your normal kind of taster of everything, you know, either cameras, direct, write, produce, production design, all that kind of stuff. So after that, I was like, okay, I really like the film stuff. I went there with the intention of doing film stuff. And then, but after the one year, I kind of solidified it. Uh, and then I studied for two years, kind of just learning the ins and outs of every different aspect of the production of a film. And then, to be honest with you, my plan wasn't to be a writer. My, my plan was to work in the camera department. I I trained to be a cinematographer in those two years more than anything. So, you know, I was dicking around with, um, you know, Bolex cameras and cutting on having. Yeah, yeah. So basically, man, so what I was doing was I was learning to be a DP and with the intention of being a director of photography when I left college, I got to do one. We get two graduation films in the last year, Valley Firma. I I did the brash thing of pitching to be a DP on a fellow colleague's film, which he really wanted me to DP, which I enjoyed doing uh, to a degree. And then I actually asked to direct another film because nobody in the course wanted the guy who wants to direct the film to direct the film. So I was kind of like a failed safe director of like, Oh, Stephen will be bearable and he knows what he's doing. And kind of then I left college not too long after that and went traveling around America. And yeah, kind of read a, I read a book called The Definitive Guide to Screenwriting by Sid Field, which I think is a, a real good kind of starting off point for anyone who kind of wants to know anything about screenplays or the construction of screenplays or the structure of screenplays. And then I came back and just started writing. 
and that's how I kind of ended up in it. Now I love I've always loved writing. When I was in the in college, I used to write a lot. Um, but um, falling into it as a full time profession, wanted to do it, but never knew it was going to happen. So, in terms of like IMDb and that professional filmography, I guess Zombie Bashers is kind of your first credit there. But I'm sure it's not the first thing you wrote. How did Zombie Bashers come to be, and how did you end up kind of collaborating with Connor McMahon on that? Funny enough, um, so a couple of years ago, I joined the Writers Guild of Ireland, and um, I, I'm, I'm they did a thing and they used to organize really good events. I don't know if they still do them, but one of the events they organized was for the Writers Guild and the Directors Guild to meet up and do this kind of speed dating event that was called. So basically, directors would sit at a table, writers would come in, you had three minutes to pitch. Uh, like a film idea or television project. I met really nice people um, that were, I think, are like, you know, some of the best directors still working in the industry today. But I sat down in front of Connor and I knew who he was because I'd seen his film Dead Meat, which is what, like the film he made when he was like 23 years of old, 23 years, of age, 23 years of age. I was, when I met him, I was, I want to say I was like 20. Uh, I sat down, pitched this project to him. I can tell you what the project is because it'll never get made. Um, which is about a group of people who worked in kind of packing shelves in the supermarket at night and a kind of group of marauders come in and start basically killing them. It was kind of near dark meets kind of Simon Pegg, Edgar Roy type of movie. And Connor kind of dug it. So he was like, actually, I I really like that. I'd love to do that as a script. So we sat down to collaborate on that. And then obviously RT were doing the Storyland series. Uh, They'd done it the year before on the Hardy books had won it. And we were, we actually, what happened was we were working on this script and we went for lunch and we were sitting down and he was talking. And I remember Connor was really sick that day. He had a, a big cough and we were just talking about like diseases and, and he'd, I, he'd love to, he said, Oh, I'd love to do another zombie thing. And then I oh, said, Oh, I have this great idea for a zombie thing. Uh, I wanted to do it as a film. Uh, and it was about what would the idea about in the future that zombies are more pests than anything else. And there's, of these kind of shady you know kind of plumber types who have gone into the zombie killing business and their business comes under threat because other people have come to realize that you can recycle zombies and charge more and it's a really seedy industry kind of just jumped at that and then he was like oh the storyline thing is happening why don't we just apply for it we might get it we had to go off get a producer so we got ruth and jules who work at taylor productions they were kind of just starting out themselves. They haven't really done much. They're in the corporate video world. We brought it to them. They were like, we really like it. Submitted all the stuff you have to do, like a pilot script that kind of Connor had to submit kind of a, uh, it was a, probably, probably a pitch deck before pitch decks were a thing. Yeah. And then we got a call saying RT would like you to come in and, and do an interview for it. And luckily for us as a producer and a really good filmmaker, uh, who I still see to this day called Nick Ryan, who was on the panel. Uh, it was Nick Ryan who was on the panel. I think Jane Gogan, who was the head of RT Drama at the time, was on the panel. And Ailish Kent, who was in the RT Drama department, was there as well. And we just pitched this wild thing about kind of zombies in Ireland. So we're like, we're, we left going, that's never going to happen. And then, yeah, so like a couple of weeks later, we were shooting this web series, I suppose it's called now, uh, with Connor directing me, writing six episodes of it. Uh, a really good crew that kind of interchanged because we were shooting it sporadically every different few months. Um, 
Root and Jules, our producers. And yeah, it was crazy and a really good cast, really fun cast. And it was a, actually a really enjoyable shoot. And yeah, that's how Zombie Brushes came about. And then obviously it's a competition and we won it. And uh, we were we were delighted with that. And we always hope to make a TV series or a film. Uh, but there is actually a screenplay written for a film that every now and again, I, I did kind of say to Connor, I read the screenplay. It's really funny. It's just, we just never got the chance to kind of bring it to fruition. So yeah, that's how Zombie Bashers came about. And then was that, was, was it off the back of Zombie Bashers and working with RT that was what led to Republic Telly and kind of writing more comedy? Yeah, so, so what actually hadn't happened, and this is not kind of in an, an nepotism way, but Connor got asked, after the, after Connor kind of did Zombie Bashers, we were developing a TV series of Zombie Bashers for RT for a little while. I, I never felt it was going to work because we were in the drama department developing a zombie comedy. And we were like, and there was like those points in it where like one of the actors was like, oh, we shouldn't make it about zombies. It should be about these two guys. And I was like, the show is called Zombie Bachelors and it's about this stuff. So we were kind of working away on that. And he kind of started getting a bit of momentum uh, in terms of just stuff he was developing. He had this uh, clown script he wanted to do for years that he started to really kind of work on on Screen Ireland. It was the Irish film board at the time. Started doing it. But in the interim, he needed a job. So what happened was James Carter, who's the executive producer of Republic Italy at the time, Ryan Connor and said, look, I need, they're probably called associate producers now, but basically we're a shooting producer. Basically we'd write sketches, shoot sketches, cut sketches, and then they'd go on air. So Connor went there for, he went there first. And then what happened was, I think James had said to him at one point, I'm looking for comedy writers. We can't really get any decent ones they wanted to do these sketches called the Real Republics, which were kind of like behind the scenes, kind of mockumentary type sketches about uh, Dermot Whale and uh, Bernard Roche and Jenna, she got called her Jen Zamparelli. She's Jen, Jen McGuire now, or she was Jen McGuire then, she's Jen Zamparelli now. Um, and they were just looking for writers. And Connor just said it to me in passing, he's like, Would you be interested if I put your name forward? I said, Look, yeah, cool. Um, the producer, one of the producers of the show, Peter Full. Who I'll be very, very indebted to, uh, who has gone on and made some really good TV shows, specifically The Young Offenders. Um, gave me a shot. He's like, write me a, a, a like a kind of a spec sketch, and send it in. And I sent it in, and he read it, and he was like, okay, you have to come in now and kind of do, basically a, it was like kind of like a pitch in the room of future sketches. It's kind of cheeky in a way because we're kind of getting free ideas off us. So it was me and another guy called Mike who came in. And yes, that's how I got started on Republic Telly was writing these sketches. And then I ended up staying there. I think if I'm not mistaken, and I have have been told this, that I was the longest writer on the show that wasn't a producer. So I was there from 2011 so basically the, the show was axed by RT, which was six years. But within them six years, the seasons are half. So you do one from January to May, and then there's a summer break, and then you come back till December to do the Christmas show, up to it doing the Christmas shows. So I think I was there, yeah, all that time, yeah. So I went from writing sketches to basically doing writing sketches and then coming up with jokes for the presenters with the kind of um, the, the, the TV reviews, which were just fucking horrible to do. Uh, if you're just wading through shit and trying to come up with jokes, um, the only thing I can ever kind of equate it to is like really trying to make fucking chicken salad out of chicken shit. Um, 
And yeah, so therefore, yeah, six years. So true zombie bashers and true Connor got into Republic of Telly, Peter Foote hired me and James Carter and Shane Mulvey, who were the executive producers, and Jason Butler uh, kept me on for six years. So it was a bit of a wild ride. At that point in your career, was comedy kind of where you were naturally leaning towards or um, obviously zombie bashers, I guess, marry those that horror sensibility with that comedy sensibility. But did you want to be a comedy writer or were you just happy to be writing? Um, do you know what? I, I do love writing comedy and I always thought I was good at it. And that's kind of up, up for debate. There's people who don't think I'm, I'm particularly funny. And then there's people who think I am really am funny. But what happened was I needed a, I needed a job, basically. So it, here's a funny story. And I do tell this. And I mean, no, no disrespect. On the same day I, I did the Republic of Telly kind of pitch audition thing, I, I went for an interview for a job on Fair City. Uh, so I was like, oh, there's this soap in Ireland and, and stuff like that. And it, it would have actually probably paid more than working in Republic Teddy. But I just, I think I just gravitated towards the, I, and like money is, is is a nice thing to have in your back pocket. Of course it is. Well, I thought, oh, if I do the comedy thing, I think I, I, I'd just be more suited to it, my sensibilities. And that's not a slight against anyone who works in the city. People can write that uh, soaps. That's great. I think there's a skill within itself to do all that stuff. But I was just like, okay, I'll give it a go. Maybe they find out I'm not funny. But I just, I think I'm an ear, I'm, I'm very observant to things of like, you know, I, I find things funny or I can write things that are funny. I think with the Real Republics, I was kind of gifted because they're kind of extensions of Dermot, Bernard, and Jen in, in these kind of versions that were created for the TV show. Like Dermot Whelan probably is the nicest man you'll ever meet in television. He's he's not egotistical. He he his his idea of life is not like the rise to fame or anything like that. So he, his character is a bit twisted. Bernard O'Shea does play that kind of country kind of buffoon. I wouldn't say buffoon. That's a bit a bit harsh, but he's kind of country. Let's play simpleton, but that doesn't that won't make it any better. Um, but he plays that character really well. He says, and Jen like she's basically playing the bitch, but Jen is actually furthest thing from a bitch she's actually really nice and really warm and we just I was, I was just lucky that the characters were kind of set in the show and the real republic just enhanced that but in terms of comedy i love doing comedy i love to write more comedy i try to write as much comedy into the scripts i write these days for feature films but um again you got to be very careful in terms of tone and stuff like that so uh yeah it comes it comes easy enough but it's very difficult it's a very difficult genre of writing to do I think it, it one it, it is very hard, but I think horror is very hard as well. And I think actually comedy and horror parallel in a lot of ways, even though they're so different. I think like a good scare and a good joke have a lot of the same requirements um, in terms of building to the punchline or building to the jump. You may disagree with that. I 100% agree with you. Actually, it's one of the things I do say is like, I think it's Hitchcock says that in your script, you should have three aha moments or three oh my god and three oh my god moments i do think horror and i i'd be very open about saying this i do think horror and comedy are very much they're the hardest uh genres genres to write because you're basically they're the highest in reaction Heart, like there's nothing worse than going to see a comedy and you don't laugh there's nothing worse than going to see a horror and you're not scared you know for all the dramas out there and again i love dramas you know, making someone cry or whatever is pretty kind of, you know, I think is an easier route. 
making someone laugh is so difficult. Making someone actually scared, especially fans of horror, actually make fans of horror scared and jump is a very difficult thing to do, even to this day. I think they're the two most uh, genres to go hand in hand for sure, I think. And the other thing that they shared in common is there's different sub-genres of them. Life for Brian is completely different than The Hangover. Uh, they're different styles of comedy. They're different types of humor. Uh, a film like The Conjuring is completely different than a film like Midsommar. It's a different type of fear. It's a different type of scare. But I, I 100% agree that they definitely go hand in hand in terms of the, the generic beats, the generic templates, the not generic genre, their sensibilities and stuff like that. So yeah, I 100% agree with that statement. Do you think then that like when when it came to working with Lee on Lee Cronin on the Hole in the Ground, do you think that the time you spent writing comedy enhanced how you were able to look at writing horror? Um, yeah, in a way, kind of. I, I'll tell you what I did take from the kind of sketch comedy world that I, I do say a lot is it gave me a sense of doing a lot in a small amount of time, which I think is really interesting when people come to writing scripts for features and i mean that in terms of like getting enough on the three like say for if you had to write a sketch you have five pages basically to get lot at least three jokes per page down that's like 15 jokes in five minutes you can't do that with horror in terms of like in, in terms of the feature you're not gonna have a horror a horror be every every you know 20 seconds because it loses its its luster but what it did give to me was one, it gave me a kind of I I it gave me a process in writing, which is that I I tried to write fast and try to at least get five to ten pages on a day when I actually am sitting down to write something. Even if they're not great, you know, I at least go, okay, well, I've done I've done I've done my work for the day. I can go back and fix that or go back and rework it or completely throw it out. But I've done something. Which is better to say it's better to work. I think it's Phoebe Waller Bridge actually says it's better to better to struggle with writing than to be not writing at all, which I do think is is how I go about things. I'd rather be writing than not writing. But in terms of when we were going to do hole in the ground, that's kind of a different beast in a way of like that was a screenplay that Lee had written before I ever came on board writing it, but that's the whole other story but what i did bring to it is like but we did realize that me and lee have a, a very uh, uh a sense of humor that is very akin to each other is like we we, we make each other laugh and stuff like that and it was a writing home around was a really funny process but um, i think what it did in terms of comedy is you learn right oh you can have your moments of calm here that's when the horror kicks in you can go back to your moment of calm so you get the kind of rhythmic version of it, it that's why it's like you said oh it's kind of like writing a comedy it is there's a rhythm to comedy if you want it to be a rhythm and there's a rhythm to horror if you want it to be a rhythm but um yeah it's it's the whole the ground is an interesting process you mentioned two things there which was i guess like when you're sitting down and how you write like five to ten pages a day and obviously the process of working with lee what was it like coming onto a project where there is so much development done like how did you i suppose when you and lee work together you come onto that when there's already a script how do you manage that collaboration in terms of coming on to something that was was at one point someone else's i guess and now you're kind of sharing it um i it'd be an interesting to hear from his perspective because obviously he's believe be very open about it there was a script there called holding around it was a completely different movie than the one we made it was a much more kind of science fiction he feel to and it was a much it was a kind of bigger and it, was, it wasn't a bad script it was it was just i don't think it was the script lee really he wanted to make you know, he was gracious enough to let me 
read the script and give me give me his notes. We were working on a we were working on a television show at the time that we were developing together. Um, well, he, when he came back from Finland, it kind of started that fire of a writing a collaboration, uh, you know, process. Yeah, you got to be very careful because you don't know what is precious to the people in those scripts. But then again, if you're real precious to it and you're sharing it with people, you shouldn't really be in this business in the first place because if you're getting offended by I'm going to share this with a, a person who's a writer who I trust and I want them to give me, give me their honest opinion. I gave him my honest opinion. I didn't think the script was great, but there was parts of this. Now, depending on who you ask, he, he might say in interviews that he, he thought it was, and I was saying in interviews that, uh, that it, was, it was my idea. I'll definitely say it was my idea. But the, the mother-son story was really good. And then we just started kind of developing it and meeting and chatting about what it could be. Like the, the things that really kind of stayed in the script and I can say them as the, as the big kind of tentpole moments in it, was the discovery of the sinkhole, was kind of like people acting odd. I kind of had that kind of, uh, what's that film with the aliens that take people and you don't really, it's uh, Donald Sutherland's in it. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It kind of had that feel to it. And I really liked that because I hadn't really seen a really good version of that. In a while. And then it just started developing, like it developed over time in terms of, oh, we have this, this mother and the son and they, they're kind of in the countryside and we're not really sure why they're alone. And then you learn that the fact that there's an abusive relationship in the past, it's kind of subtly treaded throughout the movie. And then one night he goes out and disappears down the sinkhole that they found earlier when he, when, when she just, well, you don't know if he went in the sinkhole, but he's acting odd. So it, I really like the idea of, is he, isn't he them type of movies? And I've liked horror movies like that. I think horror's best time was in the seventies when it was like, these strange movies like uh, uh, Don't Look Now and, uh, and and you know, paranoia-type films. And I think that's a great time. So I kind of, yeah, coming in on a project that's already written, and I already had a producer on, like John Kevill and Connor Barry were producing that film before I even came on board. And I think one of the major things was for, you know, you know John and Connor to say, here's this guy that made Zombie Bashers, you know, that was 20, 2009, uh, I was working on a public intelligence sketch comedy, and then uh, this was about 2000, I want to say it's about 2016, maybe like 2015. Lee's like going, Hey, Stephen can write, we want to work together on this project to get it, get it working. And I think it's a testament to Lee as well. Um, I don't really like giving him many plaudits, and I mean that in a joking way, is that he actually he put his shoulder behind me and said, I want to bring Stephen on. And you know, it, it's like anything we work on, there's there's disagreements, there's arguments, there's roads we go down that, you know, we shouldn't go down. And then but we ultimately end up coming up with a lot of ideas that we think work. And, you know, we developed that film in a very quick, quick time. And uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. So I know you have a bunch of projects in development at the moment, and you probably can't say too much about the Universal Monster movie, but what was it like for you transitioning from, working in like that Irish independent sector to now going and writing in the studio system. What did, did that feel like a big jump or is, was the process the same for you? It, well, it's a big jump in terms of um, you're, you're keenly aware that you're making a film for a major Hollywood studio. You're keenly aware when you're here, you're making a film for the uh, screen Ireland and it's the same like it is the same your your goal is write the best film you possibly can i think in the hollywood studio system you're well aware that things work differently down here i think in the independent 
um, sector and you're looking at like fun, funders, funding bodies like Screen Ireland, there's a lot of people going in who are writer directors and there's a lot of control on that. There is like, there's a lot of, uh, you know, writers who go in with projects with the directors, but you're working in, in a way it's kind of very collaborative from the early stages. I think with my uh, time working on the Universal movie, you know, you were kind of aware of going, oh, this could be taken off me at any time and, you know, brought somewhere else. It was unfortunately, for, uh, not unfortunately, fortunately for me, the executives who I work at Universal, Jay Polidaro and Holly Gillian, who Holly Gillian is a wonderful, uh, Jay is a wonderful person, Holly is a wonderful person, she runs the Dark Universe. They were nothing but, and I, I can wholeheartedly say this, they were nothing but supportive of everything that I wrote. And they just loved the idea. They, they thought the idea was really, really cool. Um, you know, and these, you know, they only met me when I pitched this film to them for half an hour meeting. And, you know, then even now, like, you know, when I when I talk to Jay or I talk to Holly or I talk to anyone at Universal, it's actually really nice and it's a very kind and, and they're very open to like any ideas that I have or is there any other thing I'd like to do in in the same kind of in the monster world. So you're, you're, you, it is a step up. Of course, it's a step up. You're going through your, you know, your budgets are going big. You're getting stars and you're getting directors who directed. You're like basically rebooted the Scream franchise coming in to direct your movie. You know, you're getting Dan Stevens and then, but then there's a part of it that's really nice where it's like, oh, they're shooting the film here in Ireland, you know, and that just kind of happened to be a happenstantial thing. Be just not because I was here. And you have like a really good up and coming actress like Alicia Weir, who I don't know if you've seen Matilda, she's wonderful in that. She's in the new Wicked Little Letters movie with Olivia Cole. I haven't seen it, but I heard great things. And then she's doing uh, a film at the moment with Brian Dern and her called Spilt Milk, which I'm sure written by a wonderful writer called Carol Loftus, who I, I'm, I'm sure is going to be an absolutely amazing movie. So it's funny, all roads lead back to Ireland eventually. So it's kind of weird like that the idea of like the screen Ireland process there's a lot of writers directors or it's very collaborative I guess very early on this might be an odd question but I was wondering what you're what are you hoping for or what's your expectation you know when you hand your work and your writing over to a director and give those pages over knowing that in the process of production things may change um or as you said, in the studio system, you could be removed um, or you could get fired and that happens frequently. How do you handle that? I suppose the difference between, like, say, for example, The Hole in the Ground and the Universal movie is, like I said, that was already in development. It had a director, like a director who, and, and he, he, of course, it's well known, he hadn't really, he hadn't directed a feature film yet. He directed very successful shorts in Lee. But that was a different process in terms of I and I and he were working together, so his vision, in a way, could come down on the page, but the air story would make sense. You know, what I mean, he Lee Lee like I I can't, you know, go inside Lee's head and go, well, what what images do you see for this scene or anything like that? He kind of you know knows that when he's writing it with me, or I write a scene and he goes, I know how to shoot that, or that's again an organic thing where he's on a set one day and he. You know, there was an incident in Hole in the Ground, for example, where there was one scene that we were constantly rewriting that we could never get. And even on the day leading up to that scene, it's a, it's a, it's a big enough scene with five actors sitting at a dinner table and people might go, oh, that wouldn't be hard to shoot. That is one of the hardest things to shoot in television or film because you have five different personalities sitting around and they will, and I will guarantee you, no matter who they are, they will give you notes about their, like, their lines or 
what they think their characters should say, even though their character is only in this one specific scene, which is a right to do so because they're actors. But like that was tough. I writing with Lee was was interesting because Lee knew what he wanted, or and if he didn't want, he was going to figure out what he wanted. But I, he was in that process with me. With the film at Universal, when I was writing the script for that, only I knew what that looked like because it was in my head, and I knew I wasn't directing it. So your goal is to write a really good script that a really good director looks at and goes, I want that to be my next movie. Or I want to be that, maybe not my next movie, but my movie in the future. So you're kind of, in a way, selling your screenplay. You're constantly selling your screenplay, even when you're not physically or you know, going into a room and pitch. When you write a screenplay, you want a director to read it and go, I want to make this. Uh, and you want to, or a producer or a studio, you want to go, we actually really want to make this. That was, that's the difference in terms of the goal. I think, I, I don't think now, like it'd be interesting. Uh, I, I'm writing another project at the moment. Um, and there's a director kind of attached, but he's kind of like, let me kind of go off and write it based on the story he had. And my thing is like, I could send the script to him based on the story he had and he'd just go, that's not what I want. So you're just hoping that the script that you deliver is what he wants. Now, 100%, like, it doesn't have to be 100% what he wants because you have to have your autonomy as an artist and as a creator to come in and go, well, that scene that you like, that you pitched me, that doesn't work in the context of what I've come up with. So again, it's it's the thing about filmmaking and about writing in, in film is, it's constantly evolving. It's never the same. Like, I I will guarantee you, many of the screenwriters that you, minus a handful in the world, to go see their films in the cinema, it's not the film they've written. It's a version of a film they've written, or and the percentage of that changes based on what has happened in production. If they've been replaced by another screenwriter, if the the director has changed something in the edit, it's 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 brilliant. Like, it is the only probably true in terms of visual collaborative art form especially in, i think television is a bit more autonomous in terms of writers the writers get a, a bit more control um but in film definitely um what i love is the collaboration process and i love working with directors and to be honest with you if you are a writer like you're gonna have fights with people but if you can get on with your director it's it's a plus that's that's that takes a load off of, of stuff and and then in your in your way of looking at it is if like if you get to a point where you're like I'm a writer and I really want to have control over something, well then try to direct it. Then you're the only person you have to answer to basically in the the story. Obviously you'll still answer to producers and whatnot, but the only person in the kind of that echelon is is yourself. And you're you're your own worst critic most of the time. So good luck with directing it. So what do you like? Kind of you mentioned obviously with the the universal picture you went in and pitched that. I was wondering. When you're faced with a new project, do you like have a particular writing process? Do you write treatments, beat sheets? Do you work from there, or do you just dive in with like key scenes, or start from blank page, page one, and just type? I usually have this kind of list. I I I, I keep notebooks, so I have like uh, there's another thing I'm working on at the moment. It's actually staring me in the face here, and there's like the whole thing. And I might not, I might not fill the whole notebook, but this whole notebook is filled with ideas. But I usually have like. A whole notebook of ideas for the film or the project or the story or the character in that or whatever but i probably only use about 20 percent of it ever but it's there so like 
when I was writing the when I pitched the Universal film, I had the kind of and it's funny because I only really divulged recently that I thought of that idea while on the airplane to Los Angeles to do these meetings. I had a kind of a, a nugget of an idea based on a short film that I didn't ever got to make in college. So I was thinking about it on the plane over. When I pitched the film, and then I was like, oh, I pitched the film, I pitched the story and the overall of what it is. Now you have to go away and go, oh, I have to write like 100 pages. So what I do is I come back. and I, The best thing you could do is just think for a while and go, you know, I'm going to watch a few movies in the same genre. What did they do? What, what would I do different? Um, what's fun? You know, how do I want to open this movie? How do like I know my opening, know my closing, know who my characters are. And necessarily, I might not know who my characters are until I sit down and write. Especially on this this universal film, there was a character I didn't know was going to be in the film until I actually uh wrote it. So and it was someone I I like it was something I wanted in it, and it was it was just nice to write that character. Um, so what I do is my process is to answer your question and not be going to another long winded diatribe is um i'll do these notes books for a while i'll do research i'll watch movies um i try write like dialogue down that i think would be really cool to have in the film even though i might not use it or a good like a joke or or kind of a story or like anything like that and then i don't write treatments i i, I do i don't mind treatments i just feel like they're kind of um they're for kind of producers as well who aren't really sure if the story you're pitching them is, you know, they, they want to make sure like, oh, is this the story you're giving me? But I don't write that. I didn't have to do that in the Universal one, which is nice. They were just like, yeah, write, write the script. So that was a lovely thing. So what I do basically is for me, I write this thing called a step-by-step -step structure sheet. And that can be as long as I want it to be. And I just break down the first, second, third act into kind of different sections and kind of make them their own little movies. So, like, for example, like, the first act, I break down into three 10-minute sections. And I know that, oh, in the first 10 minutes, I want I want this to happen, this to happen, this to happen. Then in the middle section, I get to know the characters for a little, a little bit or, you know, add something to the plot. And then by page 25 or whatever, the whole film goes absolutely haywire and it turns what's on its head and we're going in a different direction. So I do that for a while. And then when I'm kind of happy with that, I, it's not a, a technically a bible i don't really have to like stick to it but i usually start the process of just writing the screenplay not too long after that and kind of have you know ideas along the way or i'd go back and uh you know i do changes based on i could go out for a walk one day with my kids or something like that and go oh that'd be interesting if that happened and i go oh that would work for that script so like i said it's the ever-evolving process but in terms of my writing process step-by-step -step structure um I also have a really weird habit, and I don't think I've ever divulged this time. But I read screenplays. Um, if I like a line of direction, not a line like a, a dialogue, I'll write that down because I go, "Oh, that's a lovely way of saying things." There's a brilliant one of my favorite ones, and I've never used it in a screenplay. But you do your own version of them. Is there's a scene in the Silence Lamb? It's an ultimate scene of the thing where Clarice goes to Buffalo Bill's house, and she realizes in the moment she's waiting to talk. She, the Buffalo Bill's getting her card for the neighbor or the, the person who used to live there. She's waiting in the kind of foyer and she sees the mott land on, in front of her. That is the kind of, oh, this he's the Buffalo Bill part. For anyone who hasn't seen the film, it has been out for nearly 30 years. Spoiler alert. And there's a beautiful line that Tell Talia writes in it and he goes, 
Starling locks eyes with Jane Gum. And in this moment, they know each other. And it's just a beautiful piece of direction. I remember, like, I remember going, it's just because they do, because she's been chasing this guy for the whole movie. Lecter's been telling her about who, who he knows who he is. And he just knows that he's been caught at this point. So it's just, I like, I do that. So I have these books, like these, two, I have these two books, two copy books full of like little directions or little words that I like to kind of use in, when I'm screenwriting. Um, that kind of sounds a bit sad, but it just, it reminds me of like, okay, these are this, like, instead of saying the word sad, you could use the phrase crestfallen or, you know, something like, instead of confused, you can use the word, adult. it's kind of like a makeshift thesaurus in a way. And I have that open on my desk when I'm writing, but I usually try to write about five, 10 pages a day, write the script as fast as they can, but not, not rushed. And I hate the term vomit draft. I, we, I try to write, a very good version of the script in the first place, knowing that it's going to change. But it's easier to, it, it's a double-edged sword. Sometimes something that's really bad when you're right first is easier to fix. Something that's really good that you're right first is actually harder to fix because you're so up your own ass, I suppose. Oh, this is amazing. Uh, so I do that, and then I let the script kind of, when I finish a draft, I usually leave it for, I could leave it for a week or maybe two months, go off and do something else and come back to it and kind of work on it with a fresh perspective. So that would be my process on that. I said I wasn't going to do a long-winded answer, and then it became a long-winded answer. So I can only apologize for that again. Oh, and that's that's great. I think that's a lovely, actually, the idea of the copy books and actually taking those things because it can be difficult to find the language sometimes um, to describe the things we want to describe, you know? So I kind of said, sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say when you, you mentioned kind of putting it aside for a while and then coming back to it, I think rewriting your your own work can be really difficult and i guess i was going to see whether you have any particular protocols that you follow when it comes to a rewrite or how you break that process down um i think in terms of rewriting stuff it's the idea in your head of um sorry, of um not being precious about it um i think i sit down and you know over the course of that thing you might get some notes, for example, say you're working with a director or producer or studio, and they give you notes, and you kind of mull them over, and you, you get notes, and you take the good, you take the bad, and then you kind of try and pretend that like the bad ones you got were good, and then you try to, you know, work them if you can and stuff like that. But um, going back to rewrite, there's a Paul Abbott who wrote Shameless and Edge of Darkness, and he's a really good television writer. He has a great line that I actually have written out at the front of a book that I have. And he goes, there's no such thing as writing. There's only rewriting. And it's kind of true. You spend more time rewriting than you do ever. You go, you'll write your first draft of the script. Or you think it's good or bad. At least you have a first draft. But you're constantly rewriting that story, even though you might rewrite that story. 100% again is a new thing. Like re People go, they go, oh, I started from scratch. So they didn't really start from scratch. What they did is that they just worked on the screenplay they had. To start making it better possible or worse if if yeah sometimes you make it worse but i think just be not precious with what you're rewriting be open to kind of criticism be open to adulation as well because it is a tough job to do um but um yeah not to be too precious about things be open to changing things but the thing about like computer systems nowadays is in terms of when you're, what you're writing screenplays on is that you have different versions you've saved so you never truly lose anything so if you start writing a new version of something, you go, oh, but about five drafts back, we had a really good scene. Actually, I don't want to throw that out. You just copy and paste it into the script now. Like it's pretty, 
pretty pretty straightforward so yeah just don't be too precious be open to notes whether they're good or bad notes but you know i i hate screenwriters and i'd say screenwriters are the loosest terms because these people claim to be screenwriters but i've never seen any of their stuff on screen it's like going i've been working on this deadly script and i've been working on it for five years and i'm like oh how many drafts have you done like oh one and like you've been writing the first draft for five years like what are you writing like you're writing the book of genesis the movie like you know like there's a it says thing a mini series really um you know get it done get the job done it's a job keep moving forward with it keep looking to other places as well don't be working on the same script all the time either because that's not good for anyone especially not good for you but um yeah yeah just keep 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 moving keep moving forward and do you do you have you mentioned notes which i was going to ask you about just the your process for dealing with notes and i guess like on depending on the project there may be you know you could have two or three sets of notes coming in but you could have something that has more producers or more execs and everyone feeding in how like how do you compartmentalize the notes or do you sit with them for a while to try and figure out the note behind the note type thing or i have to say what i do is i will listen to everyone's notes now i try not to have a, a debate or a conversation or like an angry reaction to notes what i'll do is i listen i usually listen to everyone's notes and again some are good some are bad some are kind of just like uh you know people saying things just to say things sometimes not all the time but you know i think i think you listen to notes i think again it's the collaboration process thing your producers are helping you raise your money for your film like they definitely have a say in how the film is look and you get you get people who blow up and have fights with people and stuff like that my process is not my process would be just to listen to all the notes and you know and then kind of in a way in my mind as a writer go oh these are actually really good notes or they're 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 decent notes let's have a look at them and i just usually just ignore the bad ones and then but I won't just ignore them for the sake of going, uh, I'm just ignoring them again for the sake of it. I'll actually go, I'm ignoring this note because of A or B or C. Or like usually it's because some of the times it's like, we've tried that, it didn't work. Or I'll go, well, we tried it, but we'll have a think about it. And then suddenly you go, well, it still doesn't work. Um, notes are a part of the movie making process. They're a part of the television process. Um, you know, yeah, the, the one thing I will will say is when you do when you start doing this a, a, like a, a lot longer in any form being a sketch comedy writing whether it's been making movies or whatever um, you do you do instantly click with someone who has really good notes and you will like, kind of accept their notes much stronger than you would anyone else's notes because you're just like oh, oh these people know how to deliver notes um, again like I've I've in just recently working with a, a, a executives um, the notes were clear like they weren't any it wasn't any like um, you know I didn't like this it was just like we think we can make it better and this is why see sometimes you get good notes look they're just, they're basically man the best voice they're facts of life when you're writing just deal with them just deal with them as best you can or how you can yeah I, I think with most notes like so, as you said sometimes you get notes because people have to give notes um, yeah. so they'll find something but most of the time I think everyone 
who is giving considered notes is only trying to make the thing better or something hasn't really worked for them. So it's not necessarily a personal attack. Um, no, and plus, like I said earlier, like you're selling your screenplay even when the people you're selling a screenplay know what your screenplay is about. You know what I mean? So you're constantly, people reading it going, oh, you know, you can read your script after a second draft and go, oh, I think it's really taking a step back. And usually you just go, well, that was your notes. You know, sometimes you're just like, that was your notes. That's, that's, I implemented your notes. Well, it, it get, again, it it's just a part of a deal with it. it. Like, good notes can make elevate your film, bad notes can make your film worse or send you down a different, a different alley with a blind on. And, you know, you just have to. But, but look, at the end of the day, it's your script. You're, you're writing it. Do the best you can. You know, don't be a people pleaser. You're still writing your script. Since All on the Ground, um, do you find that you've been, I think this industry really likes to put us in genre boxes um, or like go, this is what that person does. Do you, like, are you developing stuff that isn't uh, genre-based stuff at the minute or do you find that you're getting a lot of horror offers? I'm still getting a lot of horror offers. Um, but no, not necessarily. I, I, I Look, I can understand. They call it a pigeonhole. Like, you're being pigeonholed as a horror director. But I always say to people, it's going, don't scoff at what brought you to the dance. You know what I mean? Like, like if you're, if you're getting, if you've made, you know, a really successful horror film, you're like, I, I don't know why people keep bringing me horror movies to make. You're like, because oh, you've made a really successful horror movie. You know, you can do it. And plus, it's a marketing tool. They're, they're marketing you as a, as a filmmaker, you know what I mean? It's very rare that you meet a filmmaker. That, I suppose Kubrick, in a way, is really the last kind of bastion of that idea of, like, he can do every, every genre. You know what I mean? He did horror. He did science fiction. He did drama. He did, you know, erotic thrillers with Lolita and stuff like that. Of course, like, sometimes you're going to be pitched on but No, in terms of stuff like I am developing horror stuff. I have been offered horror stuff. and really good horror stuff that I really like. But like, there's a part of me that's like, you know, I have stories that I'd like to tell that aren't horror, of course. But and the, at the moment, you know, you're making, you've made a horror film, but then you went to Sundance and got picked up by A24. You know, you're, you, you've you just written a horror film that's getting made by Universal and the Matt and Tyler who just did Scream things. I am getting offered horror stuff. I am writing other horror stuff. Um, I love writing horror. Well, is there a part of me that would be like to go, listen, would you like to do an Irish comedy someday? Of course there is. But I don't think I'm I'm at that point where I kind of want to take that side road yet. So horror is probably where I'll stay for a while. Uh, or, or like a good sci-fi. You know what I mean? And that's a wrap on Stephen Shields. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Filmmaker's Playbook. When I listened back, I realised I missed opportunities to dig deeper with Stephen. So I promise to try have him back on the podcast after his new movie, Abigail, is released later this year. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're really enjoying the show, please rate us. If you have comments, questions, or filmmaking topics you'd like me to cover on the show, please put them in the comments on Instagram, at the Filmmakers Playbook Podcast. Additionally, you can follow me on Instagram, at Jason Brannigan Director. You can find Stephen on X at SteeShields87 and Instagram at Steel Shields. Until next time.